0: Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of -of out-of-the-box thinking with the latest and greatest must-have technology tools and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, a special thank you to our premier sponsor, Rapid SOS. As a trusted public safety data partner and the creators of the world's first emergency response data platform, RapidSOS is sharing critical data with first responders like myself to get us the information we need to save lives and property. To learn how you can become Rapid SOS ready and better protect the ones you love, visit rapidsos.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. Hey, friends. Welcome to episode 20. Today's guest is Melissa Alterio, CPE and RPL. Melissa is the director of the Cobb County, Georgia Emergency Communication Center. Join us as we discuss the importance of servant leadership, mentoring up your employees to leave this profession better than when we found it, and how to feel the fear and do big things anyway. Want to know how Melissa reacted when one of her employees said, I want your job? Well, then keep listening to find out. All right. So I am here with my friend, Melissa Altario from Cobb County in Georgia. How are you, Melissa?
1: Good. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited.
0: Super. We don't say super here. We say, we wicked. say wicked.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: <laughs> We're wicked excited to be doing this. I am. I There's, there's so much that I want to talk to you about. Uh, but first, I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit. Uh, you and I have known each other for a few years now. Started kind of with a, a virtual relationship uh, through my role at Rapid SOS. Uh, but it's grown into more of a substantiated friendship, if you will. Can say
1: that again, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're, we'll talk about that too. But for the folks that don't know who you are, why don't you give us a little bit about how you got your start in public safety? How did you get to 911? How did you get to the seat that you're sitting in now?
1: Boy, that's, uh, that's a lot.
0: So start with now. So you started with who you are right now and then how you got there.
1: So I am the director of Cobb County uh, 911 Department of Emergency Communications here in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. We are the third largest PSAP in the state. Uh, About 145 person dispatch staff with uh, approximately 800,000 calls a year. Um, it has been my dream to lead a large center, so I'm super excited to be here. Excuse me, wicked, excited to be here.
0: <laughs> All right, I was gonna have um, to bleep you out and like dub wicked in there, right? Like <laughs> uh,
1: just over two months into my role. So how I got here was so let's see, I am thirty one years in nine one one. I started when I was ten. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, gonna uh-huh. saying, I'm gonna keep telling that joke the the older i get the uh the less the age goes so next well year,
0: and I'll and try. it's it's <laughs> no different than when i introduced myself as a recovering peace app director like <laughs> you, you know it, it gets a laugh and that's that's what we need that's to do funny. we have to laugh right or we'll cry
1: yeah. <laughs> i um, it's kind of funny funny story because i had wanted to be a, i grew up wanting to be a police officer and um, that, that dream had not changed through being a teenager. And so when I was 18, a friend of my uncle's had said, well, he was a police officer. And he says, well, why don't you tell her to go be a dispatcher? You know, she can get her foot in the door. And because he had to be 21 to be a police officer. And so, um, so I did that. And I was like, what the heck? Like, this is the best kept career secret out there. So when it came time, so I did, I, I started when I was 18. So when it came time to, and I just revealed my age, which is awesome. It came time to um, when I turned 21 and and, uh, I I could go to the academy and I'm like, can we curse on here? So I'm like, heck no, it wasn't that four letter word, but I'm like, heck no, I'm not going to uh, leave my nice climate controlled environment to go out there and direct traffic in the pouring down rain after a motor vehicle accident. That's that was my excuse. That wasn't the real reason. The real reason was truly 911 was like the best kept secret out there. And we had we get to wear multiple hats. So we don't get to just be investigators. We get to be therapists and, and EMTs and um, just the, the behind. I mean, truly like the behind the scene heroes. It sounds cliche, but that's I, I, I loved it right away.
0: It's I so it's it. so true. and And I didn't realize. For folks that have listened to all the podcasts before, you've heard me talk about how I got my start, too, as I, too, was going to be a police officer and I became a dispatcher to get my foot in the door. But the difference is, is I realized instead of not wanting to stand out in the rain, I realized that if somebody wanted to pay me to talk for a living, that was the job that I needed to do for the rest of my life. So very similar stories, which I did not know that about you. So that remember that cut from the same cloth thing that we talk about all the time, like it's just getting more and more creepy don't you think it's kind of getting a little weird we don't
1: need to share that part about it
0: all right right, continue on so stay in dispatch i
1: I did and i worked my way up through the ranks um i became a trainer I, i went through training very fast i became a trainer about a year in so i've been training in some way shape or form for about 29 years um Worked my way, I I left that agency and went up to uh, New York where we just started the 911 Center up there in 96. And I spent the majority of my career in Orange County, New York, which is about 50 miles north of New York City, but anything north of New York City is considered upstate New York.
0: But Orange
1: (laughs) County uh, has a major international airport and uh, West Point military base. So We were really a major hub for a lot of New York City commuters. Significant role in the 9-11 aftermath at the, uh, the Stewart International Guard Base, where we had a lot of mutual aid coming in from um, other parts of the country, medical supplies, all that stuff. So that was very impactful in my career, as you can I imagine. Bet. So I worked my way up to a uh, trainer, um, to supervisor, to training manager, a training coordinator there. Um, I left after a little over 19 years when the opportunity came for me to take the director spot in the city of Roswell, which is also in Metro Atlanta. And really, I left New York not because of Orange County, but it was I wanted a change. I was ready in my personal life to have a a big change, or a lot of uh, personal uh, garbage was happening, and I was like reinventing myself, growing. I had some uh, wonderful opportunities with my mentors in Orange County, and I'll, I'll tell you this story real quick because not not to be all bragging or anything, but it's one of the proudest moments in my career. Back in 2009, I started working. Um, I was commander of our incident dispatch team, and I started working with our SWAT folks. I created tactical dispatch component of it, and and work with SWAT out in the field. And the guys there, they were teaching active shooter response to a lot of the municipalities inside Orange County. They were they're the largest SWAT team in the county, having worked or working with the sheriff's office. They worked for the sheriff's office. And so I was very intrigued by what they were doing, and this was pre-alert uh, training. So I was very intrigued by what they were doing. So we had discussed it, and I I, I was like, well, well, what about 911? <laughs> what
0: about the questions that we <laughs> What? What? Y- they- you expected them to know about 911? Out, right. out in the field?
1: Now. If somebody's caught in an after situation, but, you know, we're the first person that they talked to. So it really generated a conversation with the SWAT commander. His name is Anthony. and. So we started developing a class, um, he and I, and uh, one of his team leaders. And so we developed this eight-hour class, Active Shooter Incidents for Telecommunicators, and we, we tag-teamed it, we partnered in it. So they taught the law enforcement response, I taught the dispatcher response, but we would put it together. together. He had support from his sheriff, I had support from my commissioner, who was just like, yes, by all means, go go do you, which was awesome, which is why I like to be a mentor and pay it forward, because I had that opportunity given to me. So we gave the class to our people it was successful we started opening up to other municipal dispatchers it was successful then the next thing i know we had um, dispatchers coming from all around the tri-state region from new jersey pennsylvania and then the next thing i know we get a i got a call from priority dispatch a representative from priority dispatch corporation and they sent their representative to come sit in our class and they, they were so interested in it that they asked uh, Anthony and I to sit on the task force to create the active shooter protocol for wow. emergency dispatch for the academy. So my That's name, cool. our name is in the protocol 136 textbook, the active shooter incidents for the academy. So I, I mean, it's just one of the proudest moments. And then we started going to conferences. We started teaching together. We were invited all around. That's how I met um, Anne and and Chris Campbell up in Massachusetts because we were invited up there to teach the actor shooter class. So to date, I say that we taught it to about ten thousand dispatchers across the country. That's amazing. Uh, again, I kind of felt this calling to do something more, to do something greater. So I decided that, um, and, and again, some personal um, issues that had arisen that I, I was growing from. So I just decided to change was necessary. And I, and I trusted God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said some, some good prayers and I kept my options open. And I, and I knew he was going to lead me the way. And then the next thing I know, I got the opportunity to be the director at the uh, City of Roswell. And so I took it. I have family down in Atlanta and I have never been happier. It was the best move for me. So I spent five and a half years there. And then I took the leap to come over to Cobb County. So it's awesome. That's how I (laughs) met you in the city of Roswell.
0: Yeah. 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 So there's a couple of things um, that I definitely want to pull out of there and and unpack. Uh, But one of them, obviously, the On Scene First podcast is, is to definitely talk about Things such as, you know, forward thinking, out of the box thinking, leadership, uh, difference makers in the public safety space, not even just 911, Uh, but there's a couple of things that you talked about. And we'll get into a few of those, but we did meet through the rapid SOS thing. And um, I'm pretty sure that you and Jonathan Jones had a competition as to who could get whatever <laughs> it was first, um, oh, whatever would come out first. <laughs> <laughs> and then here I am, this balancing act. It's like, all right, do I send out an email, a mutual email or like, you know, how, how am I going to do this? Because there were so many amazing things that were coming out. So, but I definitely want, I want to, I want to start off. Uh, with with a, a question about this last week and i think it's going to kind of lead into a couple of the other things that i took out of out of kind of your your journey to where you are today so oh. wednesday you had the opportunity to speak at a leadership summit i heard it went amazing unfortunately i i didn't know that it was online if it was i i totally would have been there because i really enjoy hearing you speak you have a lot of profound wisdom uh type things to say but tell me a little bit about your presentation there. Who, who were you presenting for kind of, how did you get there? And what are some of the things that you talked about? Cause they're very important topics for everybody. And I, I think we're going to get some value out of that here.
1: Um, so I'm glad you asked that. So I, a very dear friend of mine, his name is Frank. He um, he's the owner of guardian leadership. He is a John Maxwell coach and instructor. And so everything that he teaches from a leadership standpoint, it follows uh, John Maxwell's Mission about servant leadership. Uh, Frank is also a a senior member of a a law enforcement agency um, here in the Metro Atlanta area, and he has a lot of support from his agency, and he has a lot of support from the public safety area. So we connected a couple of years ago because a lot of his teachings, a lot of his presentations were geared towards law enforcement. I mean, I don't mean geared towards law enforcement as public safety leadership, but he was only um, had an audience of law enforcement personnel. So he. Connected with me and I, I was so fascinated by some of his classes and his mission and vision and, and his content. I certainly did everything I could to get him into the 911 arena here in Georgia and it was very successful a lot of the folks in, in Roswell. And here in Cobb County, they've taken a lot of his classes, and it's been so beneficial to their professional development. So in all that being said, he invited me to teach um, at what he's, he calls a, a one-day public safety leadership summit. And it's sort of falling in the same arena as the global leadership summit, which he introduced me to for the first time last year. And I thought, I had never heard of the global leadership summit before. And I was absolutely blown away. And and this was one time that I was grateful to have to do that virtually because I was like in my living room, like I I was just (laughs) mind blown by how amazing I'm like, I was in tears. I'm like, this is so, I would have just been embarrassed had I been sitting in the (laughs) audience, but but I was so grateful that I got to experience that because it was just so overwhelming from an emotional standpoint. And it made being a part of the public safety leadership summit that much more uh, impactful for me and and motivating for me. So he takes the one-day leadership summit and he pairs it with the global leadership summit. So if you, if you don't know anything about the global leadership summit, it's many um, churches or arenas host the global leadership summit all across the world. And so, and that's also hosted here in Metro Atlanta. So the same place that was hosting the global leadership summit, we have the one-day public safety leadership summit the day before the GLS started. Awesome. So it was the target audience was all of public safety. So we had about, I think, nearly 300 um, people in attendance between live and virtual. And the the place was huge, and it was a little intimidating. It was huge, and I was, I, I mean, I truly am humbled by the amount of greatness that was around me on that stage. There was police chief, uh, a police major, there was the director of the TSA here in Atlanta. And I can't even begin to tell you her story. It was absolutely phenomenal, the kind of leader that this woman is. The premise is like you have like 20 to 25 minutes and it's kind of like a mini TEDx talk, which is on my bucket list. I like guess my dream to do a TED, a TED talk someday. Mine
0: too, mine too, girl. <laughs> I
1: literally, I, I, I don't think I have what it takes because you have to do a lot of memorization. So it was different than anything I had ever done before. And the, the topic that we wanted to get across, the, the, the topic of the day was influence. Okay. So influence as, as a leader or influence as an up-and-coming leader. Everybody has influence, right? Like you don't have to be in the, in the position of a, a leadership position as far as an authority position. You don't have to be in authority position to be considered a leader because everybody has influence. And so in my message, the title of my uh, presentation was called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And we were just having this conversation before the podcast Yeah, started, girl, right? you're,
0: singing, you're so singing my song. <laughs>
1: literally, and, and that's what it was. So I, I can say to you, I can tell you all about my career, and I can tell you about uh, leading an incident dispatch team or or helping to write the active shooter protocol for an international dispatch organization and teaching to about 10,000 dispatchers across the country and, and being a conference coordinator for the Georgia Association of Women in Public Safety. And it's a little plug for our association, for those folks who are in Georgia are listening. But all that stuff and then leaving New York after almost 20 years of service to move out of state, take a director job for an agency that I knew nothing about. Um, and, and then coming over here after five and a half years I, in my, I was in my comfort zone already in Roswell and then coming here to lead an organization that handles 800,000 calls a year and to be one of the, the department heads in, in the county that is w- one of the largest counties in the state I, I was scared I can't curse on here but I was scared <laughs> to pieces I was scared to pieces but there's that, that push, there's that influence, that, that drive, that inspiration, that motivation to teach and coach and mentor and inspire and motivate the next generation of 911 leaders. And I can't, so I, if my story can impact or influence somebody else, just to show our next generation of 911 leadership that you can go from a frontline telecommunicator at 10 years old, at 18 years old, and work your way up to a director of a major county or, or a major uh, metropolitan organization that handles 800,000 calls a year. It can happen because I'm, I'm living proof that it happened. And making an impact like that is is scary. But I, yeah. if my message just doesn't ever stop. And my message is to, if you feel that greater purpose, and if you feel that calling in your life, and you feel motivated and inspired, especially after investing or, or take the time to invest in your own professional development. If if I can encourage anybody and everybody out there who's hopefully going to listen to this podcast, um, and that's on me, not on you, because you do an awesome job. But if anybody's going to listen to it, I say, get in the arena, dare greatly, feel the fear and do it anyway. And that was my message on Wednesday. And, and I had about 18 of my team members from Cobb county in attendance That's so it was awesome. kind of awesome because i had two or three people who had who was a little fearful to say to ask for something or say what they were interested in before i spoke and then they came up to me after and said i have this great idea and and I, i'm like i love it i love it and a, a couple of weeks ago um, and this individual was in attendance at the summit also Yeah, uh, one of my team members said I really want your job. And I am so excited because I'm like, that's so awesome. I will help you get here.
0: Yep. Yep. And, and and it's funny because one of the questions, so when you gave your introduction, you had talked about the mentorship that you got in New York, you know, to move forward, to do the things that you knew you were, you were led to do. And my question for you was going to be, which ironically segued right into that is why mentor people? Why why give folks the opportunity to succeed? I think in our professions, in many professions, uh, when you hit a leadership position, a lot of folks take on the responsibility of, I have to do everything, right? And Because it's on me and I have to do everything. Can you just talk a little bit about the importance of leveling up the people around you? Because if somebody walked up to somebody else and said, I want your job, they would have instantly put their wall up, put their guard up, and then turned and made sure that they got no opportunity to take your job. And that's not what your person was saying. Your person was saying, I want to be sitting where you're sitting. I want to be running a center. I want to be running a big center. Help me get there. Why is it important to mentor our folks and give them that opportunity to level up?
1: because i i think the the public safety industry is changing not i mean 911 industry itself is changing but the public safety industry is changing and we those of us who have grown up in the in the business whether it be 911 law enforcement fire there is something that we have recognized over the years is that authoritative leadership is not successful and it's not getting anybody anywhere nope nope and nope, nope then we also realized growing up in the business that um, servant leaders, people-driven leaders, purpose-driven leaders have been few and far between and that, that there's been no succession planning or, or legacy leadership. And so the, when I say the industry is training, changing because we have recognized that, that it, historically, when you have an authoritative leadership or somebody who is just being a boss and not a leader then, then where where are all the problems? You have a toxic culture. Yep. You have, you're, you're not able to hire anybody because who's going to want to come work for an agency that they already hear has a poor leader and a toxic culture and does not show value to their people. And then, um, you're not able to recruit anybody. Like it's all a great big circle. It totally is. I say that all the time. Right. And so, um, and that's interesting because, um, yeah, you know, our our good friend Jeremy there was uh, giving me some advice before my interview with Cobb, and he's he had always said to me, he's like, have a, have your recruitment plan ready because you know that's a hot topic in our industry and, and get ready for that. And and for a little while I was stressing over, it, and then I realized, and I was asked that question in in two different interviews preparing for Cobb County, and what I my answer to that is, and I am going to circle back around because it's all it all connects, I promise. Yeah. But my answer to that is. Recruitment is is simple. Show value to your people. um, Showcase them on social media. um, Show that you're a team and and be a team, not, not just show it. But something as simple as spotlighting your people on social media is going to recruit other 911 professionals into your organization um, what, because social media itself is the platform for recruitment. I mean, social media is a platform where what was the first thing you do when you're going for a new job, you're going to see if they have a Facebook page. And when you go to their Facebook page and you see how much their, um, their agency is showcasing their people and the work that they do and the extracurricular activities, like we have a great peer support team. We have a phenomenal tactical dispatch team. We have a, like, I'm going to call them like a, state renowned public education team because I have never seen a public education team like this. They are out there all the time through a variety of events and I think it's absolutely fantastic. I, I cannot do enough for for this team. So that's the first thing you look at and that's that's the secret to recruitment. If you, you take an agency like Jeremy's and like Stephen Martini's or Um, Tyrell Morris and we know because one, they're showcasing their people and we we know that they have that servant leadership and that they're people-driven leaders. If somebody were to ask me Um, what do you think about Metro Nashville 911 center? Should I go work there? And I'd be like, heck yeah, because they have a great leader.
0: 100%.
1: So, and that's what I want people to say about Cobb County now. And I know people are saying it about Roswell and I don't say that to be cocky or, or egotistical, but that's just the culture. When I left Roswell, I knew that we left the culture so much more positive than when I started. And that, those, those, um, that team there was ready to, to take over and to continue. We had this conversation. I was very, very authentic with them in Roswell. And I said, just because I'm leaving doesn't mean that you all need to stop the principles that we worked here together. This was not Melissa's show. This was the entire team's show here. Yeah. We together created a positive organizational culture. And, I, and it's up to you all to continue that legacy because it's what you build, not, not what I build. It's what you all build. And that's what I'm also hoping to bring here. So it is important to continue to develop and mentor and coach your, the next generation of leaders and show value to them because they're the gladiators. They're the one out there who, who, are, who are doing the work. But it's, it's so important because nobody wants to work for a boss anymore. They want to follow a leader.
0: And if I can help
1: somebody get there and take this job, I know that I'm going to be leaving this place that much better when I leave, because I want to retire somebody someday. And I
0: think, and I think leaving, you know, there's a lot of folks that want to leave the place that they are right now. I know that when I was getting ready to leave, I was leaving because of poor leadership. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many folks are leaving because of poor leadership. And I've done surveys. I've done presentations. I've, you know, had small intimate circle conversations about, about how poor leadership has this kind of toxic, just, it creates a toxic environment and it's unnecessary and it creates broken people, which in turn, you know, break other things and, what I think is amazing is how many folks that I'm seeing now are shifting to a more people and purpose-driven leadership. And that was one of my goals for On Scene First, was to make sure that that leaders were leading and that they were not just micromanaging and causing all kinds of other issues. Um, so your 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 reason, I guess, if I was paraphrasing, your reason for mentoring people up is because you want to leave this profession better than what you found it you know when we when we first started and we found it it was a very different place very 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 dominant leadership styles dispatchers were were not seen as um valuable when it came to the public safety chain of survival um but i think your drive as you mentioned, Jeremy Demars Drive and Camaro Martin, Steve Martini, all of these folks, and I could go on and name them. So, so if I didn't name you, you know, it, it's not because I don't think you're valuable. It's there are so many, there are so many people-driven leader, leaders out there today that it's exciting to see what they are are doing. You know, when you look at a well-run center, what do you see? like what, what makes that center run so well. And, and immediately I didn't even have to think about it. It was people driven leadership. You have to bring the human back in the words of Roxanne Van Gundy is, you know, she's, she's one of those other folks that are, are preaching, bringing the human back, like put the people back into, into the profession. So you talked about influence, you talked about uh, worthiness, of greatness. Now, when I say you talked about worthiness of greatness, when you were sharing about being on the stage with all of these folks that were so full of greatness, um, I just want you to know you're just as great as they are, and you deserve to be there. So, what you're doing for our industry and our profession is it, it shouldn't be unrecognized. Um, so, just wanted to make sure that you knew you were just as great as as the folks that were were up there. The other thing I want you to kind of elaborate on is you talked about going from New York to Roswell to Cobb County. I think a lot of times in this profession, we think that we need to stay where we are because Mm -hmm. that's what public safety does is, is you set up shop, you unpack, you live there, and it doesn't matter how challenging it gets. It doesn't matter, you know, how much you want that next thing. And I think this is important to talk about You didn't leave Roswell because things were bad. Actually, they were good, right? But you Uh had a bigger calling. You knew that you belonged somewhere else doing something different. If there's somebody that's listening that wants to go out and do bigger things for themselves. Now, my bigger thing might be different than your bigger thing. If there's somebody out there listening that wants to go out and do bigger things for themselves, what would you tell them?
1: The title of my presentation on Wednesday, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. I, I it's, it's like what Teddy Roosevelt says in his arena speech, get in the arena and dare greatly. And if you fail, at least you will have tried and failed while daring greatly. I mean, yeah. and then get up and try again. So one of my favorite books out there, I heard this on, on Wednesday, one of the um, other instructors had said, leaders are readers. And I love that because it's so true. True
0: story. So
1: I, I felt that higher calling. and I felt that higher purpose. And so I dove in, into the research. I learned so much about research and uh, so much about leadership and servant others. And this is part of my speech because I, I memorize it now. Like, I, I dived so much into that servant leader research. John Maxwell is my idol. Simon Sinek helped me find my why. Brene Brown taught me how to dare to be great. And Admiral McRaven, who's going to be our keynote speaker at the APCO conference, taught me that if I just wake up every morning and make my bed, I can change the world. That's and amazing. That right there is not inspiring. Then I don't, I honestly don't know what is. So I knew that I was worthy of being amazing. And that's what that's the the tape that I had to had to keep on playing in my head because I had a greater calling. And that had nothing to do with me and everything to do with the people that I wanted to help. And that's the, the dispatchers in the public safety industry. So I say, feel the fear, try, be courageous. Doubting yourself is riskier than trying and and, and failing. So my my suggestion and my encouragement is to get out there and try step out of your comfort zone, embrace vulnerability, be authentic and feel the fear and do it anyway.
0: So my big phrase for me, when I was getting ready to leave the 911 center was just jump. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, for those of you know that I had a battle with PTSD, that, that phrase could go both ways, but nonetheless, it was to get to a place where I pushed through that fear, the fear of not feeling worthy of doing anything else, but being a chief dispatcher, the fear of being vulnerable and not knowing how to do something. I, I joke, well, I joke, but it's, it's not a joke. It's serious. Like I literally had to Google how to have a Google meet when I started at Rapid SOS, because this was just something that that I didn't do uh, to be able to learn how to do different things. And you know, when I first started, I was really overwhelmed. I thought I knew a ton about 911 there was so much that i didn't know but i learned i learned and i learned a new skill set and then i brought that ne- that new skill set to the next level so on my wall behind me at the time where i was making that decision was a girl with a parachute that was kind of jumping and it was the quote by henry ford whether you think you can or you think you can't you're right and it went furthermore to a tattoo on my left side of a parachute that says, just jump. And I think folks are so afraid of looking for the next thing that they're settling where they are, that they don't think that they are worthy of, of being great. I know that, uh, the nine one wonder woman talk a lot about imposter syndrome. Yeah. I live that every single day trying to, you know, figure out my place and where I'm supposed to be. But there's a lot of folks out there that are that are dealing with these same things. And that's why this conversation with you is so important, because you have jumped, you have made these bold changes. Um, and I want to talk about the little tape that you said you had running in your head. If if you doing the math didn't uh, reveal your age, saying the word tape that did um, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> it should be the MP3 or four or whatever that's looping in my head. Right. <laughs> that's but I do want to just point that out is you said that the, that the tape that's rolling in your head is that you have the ability to be amazing. And I think that is so awesome that you said that a lot of times people who want to be confident that want to put themselves out there will doubt that they can be great. And they will say, well, if I put myself out there, that people are going to think that I'm trying to be. You know, better than I am, or you know, are they going to think that that I think too much of myself or things like that? But I love that you talked about that tape looping in your head that you do have the ability to be amazing, and we need to stop that stigma, right? We have to stop the stigma that people shouldn't share their greatness.
1: That's true, and then and then we we I know we've had some side conversations about this, but one of my my favorite quotes um, by Brene Brown in the her um, speech, the power of vulnerability is that you either walk inside your story and own it, or you stand outside your story and you hustle for your worthiness. And I think that's deep. It is deep. And I think that we as humans measure our worthiness through other people. And that, that almost sounds like jealousy to a degree, but right. And that is also a struggle when you think that you might be jealous of somebody, but yet you're really happy for their success or you're really but yet it 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 fuels something in you i I've really struggled with this um, i' I've, I've struggled with these emotions over the years because i don't I'm not a jealous person, and um I'm a very genuine person, but yet when I see somebody else's success or something that they're doing, like, like what you're uh, like, I'll take you, for example, like what, what you're doing. I'm, I'm so, it's like, you, you have so many, you have impacted so many lives over the years. I mean, not just with rapid SOS, but with your story and um, the followers that you have and, and your level of vulnerability that you put out there every single day. And I know that what you put out there on social media is largely vulnerable. And I also know that it's hugely impactful to people who feel the same way, but don't ever say it. So, but I'm like, gosh, you know, that's so awesome what she's doing. And I'm like, I, and I feel like I'm, I get a little jealous, but it's not jealousy. What I realized, and I realized as I was putting my presentation together for feel the fear is I am measuring my success based on, or I'm measuring my worthiness based on somebody else's success. And it almost kind of sounds terrible when you put it that way, but it's, it drives something in me. And what it really is, is it's, it's, as Ann, our very dear friend Anne says, it's lighting a fire in my belly. Yep. And so it's not jealousy and it's not that I'm measuring my own worthiness or it's not, it's like, I, that's the, there's a little light shining inside of me to say, well, that's great. And she's impacting or he's impacting so many people. And that's wonderful. And I'm genuinely, genuinely happy because of that. And then I'm like, I, that I need to do more. I need to do more because there's more people to influence and there's more people to um, inspire and motivate. And, and it was, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a struggle to realize that it was okay to have those feelings and emotions and still be amazing. And, and I think
0: that, I think that goes back to all of, even, even with the mental health aspect, right. Is that you have these little voices in your head telling you, you're not good enough. They, the little voices in your head are yes. saying, Nope, you can't do that. Nope. Nope. Yeah. You can't. Nope. Don't do that. Cause you're going to fall on your face. And I think once we can move past that fear, right? Like you said, feel the fear, do it anyway. Once you can move past that fear and you feel better, I think a lot of times it takes that little tiny spark, the little piece of something that ignites that flame. So ironically, one of one of my keynote presentations is reignite that smoldering flame Mm -hmm. because a lot of us are sitting at, at the campfire and it's just the coals Right now, and think about how amazing it was when the fire was going, and you were surrounded by so many, you know, friends and and just positive experiences, right? But now it, you're you're in this place where maybe there's just coals smoldering, and and you need something, you need a, you know, somebody to throw gas or, or something onto those smoldering flames um, or coals to to reignite that passion. I know that when I left my 911 center, I was broken. I was, I was so, so broken. I was in such a dark place. I felt like a failure. I felt like I couldn't do my job anymore. I felt like that. I wasn't influencing that. I wasn't impacting. And for me now I do a lot with the disc behavior model and I am an eye style, which is influencer, right? So when I get to a place where I'm not influencing, mm-hmm. it's very challenging to not live in the place where you're supposed to be. And if yeah. you're living in a place that you're not supposed to be, then it's going to be that vicious cycle, right? It's you're just, you're not going to get out of your own way. You're going to be on this hamster wheel and you're never going to know that I, wait a minute, I can get up on that little, you know, that little uh, maze thing and and it's going to take me to a, a new place, a new exciting place where there might be, you know, lots of amazing things that are sitting there, Waiting for me, you know, and and just so you know, there's there's no difference here. You know, you will say, "Oh, she's doing great things and impacting others," and then the voices in my head are telling me, "Like, sit down, stop. Uh, you're, right. you're you're making so, too much out of a something." And and so I, I'm glad you pointed that out, and thank you for your kind words. I I really appreciate them.
1: You deserve them. So that it brings up, so it was like one of those side conversations that we were having at the Nina conference last week, right? So finalize this whole thought by saying, you truly never know what somebody else is going through unless yep. you walk a mile in their shoes. Yeah, so We were talking about conference anxiety last week, right? Which yeah. that is a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah, It really is. For another hour talking about that, but you know, we, like I, somebody could look at me. I realize sometimes when I step outside myself or when I, I I'm so full of humility, I'm so humbled by the compliments that, that I get that I, I just, it, it, it almost, it's almost so overwhelming and, and, and it brings out such emotion in me that I almost can't handle it, but I'm, I'm grateful and humbled, but yet, so I understand if I step outside of myself for a minute and I see some of the things that other people see, and it's hard for me to do that, but I, I also see where some people might think like, oh my God, she's so great, great, or how does she do it? And I, again, I say that with a hundred percent humility, but they don't know how much anxiety that I have or how much fear that I have or how, how much like, you know, just, just something like the summit yesterday or, or on Wednesday, I was like, I, I, I'm not doing that. I don't know why I said yes. I don't know why I said yes. I don't know why I said yes. And then I got out there and I did it. And I'm like, this was awesome. So right. we, we never know um, the struggle that, that other people are are experiencing. And, I think that's probably the most important message when we say that if you're fearful, trust me when I say that you're not the only one. Everybody who's ever, ever, ever been successful has had fear and anxiety and probably still does to a degree. But that purpose that's calling you is greater than that fear.
0: I love that. I love that. There is so much... That we just keep talking oh, about, no. like I love, I love. That's what we this.
1: had the appco conference for.
0: I know, and and there's like there's just so many topics that, when folks look at my podcast, like they get there's there's a lot of different lanes, you know, that I really feel p- passionate about. One is new technology, embracing new technology because that can save, you know, the caller, and and I advocate for the caller. We've we've lost too many amazing people, and oh. it you know in many situations unnecessarily. And there's so many things that can be put in place that could prevent any type of tragedies from happening and technology being one of them. So really wanting to open people's minds on technology. The next place is leadership and behavior and personality and understanding of the human factor. That's right. I am, as I mentioned, you know, on the DISC human behavior model, I am an I style primarily, but I'm also a high S style. So therefore I am an extroverted introvert. And I know a lot of folks find that very weird. Um, I am too, but it's one of those things where I could get up and talk in front of 10,000 people. I have no problem doing that, but there's other places where I'm going to retreat and I'm going to be, um, very self-aware and self-conscious. And there are folks out there that are feeling that same exact way. And, you know, I just want to, before we wrap up, I want to, I want to point out one of, one of your folks. Samantha Hawkins. I know, right? So Samantha Hawkins presented at one of the virtual conferences recently. I had never heard her name before. I'm working, multitasking. She starts talking and I instantly stopped what I was doing and sat and, and paid attention and gave her my full attention because the words that she was saying, the passion, the level of excitement that she had, it captured me and she said she never spoke at a conference before so there's two things i want to point out there number one if you have a story to tell tell it find the places for you to tell your story while your story may be similar it's going to be different all the time and number two it's that importance of leadership and the leadership of empowering others to do things that they don't feel comfortable doing. So I applaud, you know, both of you for empowering and engaging in something that was super scary. You know, when I see folks getting ready to speak at a conference and they're super nervous, I'm like, ah, I don't know what that feels like. <laughs> I don't because somebody's giving me a stage and I get to tell a story, and that's where I feel very comfortable. Um, that's but awesome. put me in certain situations, I can't really explain too much, but you know, or put it into words, but there's certain situations where I feel extremely uncomfortable and you'll see me withdraw and sit in the background. And, and folks that know me, they're like, Oh, hell no, that never happens, but it does. It does. And, and so if, if you see me anywhere alone, sitting by myself, chances are I'm fighting a fear that many don't know is there. So thank you so much for bringing that up. And again, I just want to say thank you. Is there anything you want to say to the listeners as we wrap up a final thought?
1: I, um, one, Samantha is uh, amazing and she's going to surpass, uh, you and me both in this industry. Right on. Uh, the only thing that I can say is get your superhero pose on and feel the fear and, and do it anyway. Keep moving forward, be brave, be courageous, find your purpose And just get out there and do it.
0: Awesome. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. you. I appreciate all you do for this industry. And I look forward to seeing you um, at the AFCO conference. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. All right. See you later. Bye. Thank you for listening. Make sure you join us next time for another episode of entertaining, educational, and empowering interviews with public safety difference makers. Please like and follow me on social media at On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. Thank you, heroes, from the bottom of my blessed heart. Stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you. For more information on RapidSOS, our premier sponsor, and how you can get connected to the world's first emergency response data platform and better prepare and protect your family and community, visit RapidSOS.com today.